Mental, physical and even financial abuse is not uncommon in some relationships. Victims returning time after time to the perpetrator through total fear, all in the hopes that they can save them from themselves. The most dangerous time for a victim is when they try to finally leave such a relationship. This week's perpetrator did this in every relationship they had and finally, after killing one partner, thought they had gotten away with it. So years later, they did it again with another victim. Except this time, police internationally were able to work together to solve the cases, but left wondering, how many more victims does he have? This is the case of John Sweeney, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Murder Me Monday podcast. I'm Cameron and joined with me is Mother. Hello. So I don't know if you're going to mention it specifically at any point, but you mentioned it to me privately. You brought up the fact that he's ginger. Yes. Or he, or he turns ginger. And then I told you the origin of why some people might not like ginger people. It originally stems because they think Judas was ginger. I did not know that until you told me and it was a private joke on the synopsis. But when we did the Patreon episode, he was ginger as well. Yes. And now we're doing a second ginger one, right? I think you've got a vendetta against ginger people, even though they may or may not be related to Judas. There's, there's at least two or three other ginger ones that we've done as well that you're not actually registering at the moment. And there's one I've got in the back of my head I won't consider doing. Doesn't help them colourblind. No. I won't actually be ginger at this point, but yeah. I don't have anything about ginger people. So welcome back. Episode 76 after our short break. If you are listening to this before the 5th of September, you are one of our Patreon exclusives. If you would like further advance notice please join us now this case is a little bit different in that he gave himself a name scalp hunter but the press actually dubbed him the canal murderer i also have two date of births and very little background on him let me take you to kirkdale in liverpool on the 13th of october 1956 or 58 when john was born He does have a brother that comes into the case later, but their boys and their mother moved to Skelmersdale in Lancashire, which is about 13 miles northeast of Liverpool at a young age, and he trained as a carpenter and a joiner. He seemed to have the travelling bug, as he would travel around Europe working on building sites. It was easy to do back then. But eventually, in 1976, he meets and marries a woman back in England, He would have been 18 or 20, I guess, which was very young. They divorce after three years and then remarry two years later. I got whiplash at that one. They have two children then, a boy and a girl. He gets a criminal record in November of 1982. His wife calls the police and says that he is threatening her. Surprisingly, for the times, they actually take it seriously, and I do wonder if he was well known to them, as they find him hiding in a wardrobe, holding an axe in one hand and a hammer in the other. His punishment, being bound over to keep the peace, basically a small fine and being told, don't do it again. They divorce, and he heads off to London. Now, this chap, also known as Scouse Joe, in his late 20s, must have really had the gift of the gab. Seen lots of pictures of him from about that age to now, and I really cannot fathom his appeal other than he must have been very charming. 
and he meets a very attractive young lady called Melissa Halstead and they move into a shared house in Stoke Newington. Melissa was then aged 33 and from Ohio, the daughter of a dentist, and had signed in 1986 with the renowned Ford agency as a model. That hadn't worked out. Again, it's actually not uncommon. They often sign people that they meet. We've spoken about it in one episode where the, a, a photographer used to hand out cards and, you know, I can do your portfolio and all that sort of thing. And they would regularly sign people that they used to meet in Oxford Street. But they give them a chance, they give them a little bit of work, and then if they don't fit what the client's looking for, doesn't go any further. So by this point, she was trying to make a go of being a freelance photographer and a makeup artist when she met John. And he started to revert to the control and anger because in September of 1987, he hit Melissa in the face with a stool and was fined five pounds for assault, occasioning actually bodily harm. Three months later, he was again fined five pound for kicking her in the legs. Then... Well, the that's a... That sounds weird. Yeah. He was fined five pounds for kicking someone in the legs. Obviously, it had to be reported and then found out. And yeah. he then subsequently found guilty of it. But to, to kick someone in the legs... It's the equivalent, I would say, knowing salary-wise, to maybe £100. I didn't actually do the conversion, but knowing what I earned back then to what I earn now, I'd say it's probably about the same as a £100 fine. But it's nothing. But that's schoolyard shit, isn't it? That's what kids do. Yeah. <laughs> a friend was telling me a story about how his partner was in a nightclub. A guy hit on her. She said no, so he kicked her in the shin. <laughs> Imagine getting rejected to kick someone in the shin. That's what he's done. It's a lot better that he did that rather than throw a glass at her, which is not an unusual occurrence, unfortunately. Then, on the 20th of April, 1988, he was bound over to keep the peace following a row. After all this, it turned out she told her sister over the phone that if anything happened to her, John would be responsible. Melissa was working illegally in the UK. She didn't have a visa that permitted her to work in such a manner and eventually she got caught and deported. I would have thought they would have sent her back to the USA but somehow she ended up in Vienna in Austria in October of 1988. John followed her there and broke into her new flat share. How did he know where she was though? I suspect she told him. Yeah, we're looking back on it now. We're obviously able to make the leap that something bad's going to happen because it's a true crime podcast, but her at the time telling him it wouldn't have assumed that because you don't. And we're looking back at it with the perspective of today's day and age. You don't yes, exactly. communicate that kind of stuff. Although she did tell her sister, if anything happens to me, it's down to John. But I think she was an internal optimist. I think she was one of these people that saw the good in everybody and hoped everybody could change. Well, and you don't assume that someone's going to do something that bad, do you? No, you'd hope not. So as I said, he broke into his her new flat share. He tied up the completely oblivious flatmate and searched the flat for evidence that Melissa had another man in her life. Melissa comes back, talks him down, and probably the terrified flatmate, and gets him to leave by buying him a ticket to Amsterdam. And it doesn't seem that that incident was reported to the police. Melissa obviously doesn't get kicked out of the flat share. And on the 4th of November 1988, John turns back up again at her door. This time, the police are involved, as later that same day, he was arrested after fracturing Melissa's skull with a hammer. I mean, I mean, wouldn't you have moved 
I'd have moved, but... Even if a mate, someone that I consider a mate, if I had moved to a different part of the UK and my mate turned up outside my house, I'm like, nutter. Mm-hmm. You're in my bushes naked sometimes. I don't... You're, you're no. Wait till you're the rest. Melissa told the police he had already threatened me in London with a knife because he said I was going to leave him and he couldn't cope. John told the police that he only wanted to surprise Melissa and claimed it was just an emotional act after they'd been arguing. He had to have brought the hammer with him. Uh, huh? You don't, I, I don't, you don't bring a hammer in case you're going to accidentally do a bit of carpentry. I, don't, I mean, to be fair, he's a carpenter or a joiner, so he could have done. But you don't accidentally bring a hammer with you and then, oh, it found the side of your head. When did she report this that it happened? Because if he fractured her skull, she must have been in a hospital in Vienna. Oh, yeah, she ends up in hospital. She, she does. His, according to him, he said he wasn't thinking about anything. Like you do. You're just swinging a hammer at someone's head and you weren't thinking about anything. Hmm. So he gets arrested and he's in prison and he painted a picture. He's quite an artist, this chap. A shit artist, but he's an artist. Depicting two sets of hands and feet, which he later described as, this is her being the puppeteer and I am in a man trap. So said Melissa had a soft heart and she fell for John's fake tears and apologies. And so she pleaded with the judge for leniency. He also paints him as the victim, though, in his eyes. Yes. She's a puppeteer, he's the victim, he's the one being controlled. Yes. At this point, neither of them are being controlled. She's, she's being controlled by fear, potentially, of something then bad happening, but neither of them are really being controlled by either one. It's all manipulation. Yeah, for, again, from his side, within fear, because she, she, from all accounts, based on what you've said, hasn't done anything wrong. She, why did, I mean, we don't know why she got sent to Vienna in the first place. No, we don't know how she ended up in Vienna, and I've looked... It makes makes no most no sense to me. I know you go back to your place of origin, as it were, on your passport. But yeah, she ended up in Vienna. Maybe they just said get out of the UK. It was in the eighties. Who knows what they I'm did? I'm surprised he even had a passport at the time. I know because he travelled all over. Oh yeah, he said he's a traveller. Yeah, yeah, he's described as by one judge as leading a bohemian lifestyle, which you would think would be all quite happy, clappy, clouds of weed and. Yeah. Cheerful and, you know, symbols and no. You, you imagine you would have picked up some, not wisdom. Zen. Yeah, you'd have picked up some sort of wisdom from just existing and going to different cultures, being about places. And I don't see how someone that's unhinged can do that and not have murdered someone else in another country by accident. Well. Or, so, fucking blood twist, you might have done. Well. It doesn't say in what I can see, but I don't know. No, that's the whole point while you're you're listening to this. So she pleaded with the judge for leniency and John was given a suspended 12 months prison sentence and a 10-year deportation order, meaning he couldn't go back to Austria for the next 10 years. John must have been banged up between the November when he lamped to one and March of 1989 because he's released on that date and he and Melissa go to Germany. That's So they're still together. And then they quickly move back to Amsterdam. April 1990. This is the last time Melissa was seen. And by the 2nd of November, when she didn't contact her mother to wish her happy birthday, she was reported as missing. John carried on living and working in Amsterdam until Christmas of 1990, when he comes back to the UK. In 1991... He meets an Australian lady in London called Delia. They fall into his predictable pattern of him moving in with her and then he starts to be abusive. In November of 1994, the final straw for Delia and she tells him to leave. 
he pulls out a gun. He pressed the gun to the back of her head and pulled the trigger to the first click. She said, I knew if he pulled it a second time, it would blow my head off. He tied her to a bed and then told her how he'd killed Melissa after finding her in bed with two German men. He told her that he had cut them all up and thrown them in a canal. He holds her for 48 hours and tortured her the whole time. A friend finally comes round and Delia is able to get away and John is arrested. Police found a green canvas rucksack containing a ground sheet, a length of rope, masking tape, surgical gloves and a saw blade. That's the kill kit right there, isn't it, Cam? As is often the case, he was released on bail. Having an illegal gun, there's no way a handgun was legitimate. Should have been a good enough reason to keep him behind bars, but it wasn't. Moving on with his life would have been the correct move at this point. He'd gotten away with pretty much every shitty thing he'd ever done, hadn't he? Not this one. He must have stewed on it for weeks, because on the 22nd of December, as Delia is coming home from work, he ambushed her outside her home. Where's Melissa in all this? Melissa's just vanished. I'll get to her later. I know he said that he'd killed her yeah, and, cho- he and chopped up three people, managed to chop up, somehow managed to overpower two dudes, a woman, and chop them up and chuck mm-hmm. them in, the, in a, a, a river or a canal, whatever. From this point, has nothing happened? No. Has no one communicated? Did she tell anyone that he had said this? No. Nobody says. And he's got to the kill kit with a gun that he shouldn't have. I mean, in the UK alone, you can't have a handgun. No. To have a normal gun is basically have to be a farmer. Yes. It's. He leads such an itinerant lifestyle. And although he has lots of so-called friends and even a best friend, I think people thought he was a bit of Billy Bullshit because nobody followed through with any of this. But then what do you do? My mate said he killed X, Y, Z. And also as well for Delia's point of view, she's been with him for three years. She's probably absolutely terrified by this point because she knows how violent, how controlling he is. There might be a grain in truth in what he's told her. Is it worth risking her life to report something where she doesn't have any real details? She's got no proof. You just, what somebody's told you. Yeah. So, 22nd December, Delia is coming home from work. He ambushed her outside her flat. He's armed with an axe and a knife. Delia suffered wounds to her head, arms and chest. He actually hacked through her breast into her ribs and cut her lung open. Delia only survived as a neighbour hearing the screams, dashed out, waving a baseball bat and scared John off, who promptly went on the run. First stop was his best friend in Kentish Town in London, where again he repeats the story of Melissa, two Germans, and adds in that there's a £10,000 reward. I'm assuming it was actually in guilders as euros wasn't brought in until 2002. And it's often quoted as pounds, but it wouldn't make any sense if it was in Amsterdam, they'd say it was guilders. So there's a 10 grand reward on... To find out what happened to... Who was responsible for... The attack. The, the bodies in Amster, in Rotterdam, it was actually. Okay. Okay. And he told his mate that? Yeah, told his best mate. If I was his mate... Right. I know. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> a few people tried to do it, but there have been 
a warrant out with money on it attached yeah. to them, and they tried they turned themselves in hoping yeah. to get the reward and obviously you don't no i know but i i dubbed them mate and if, if nah if a duck if your duck's a duck you're a duck you've done it he then goes to see his ex-wife in northampton and complained to her that the police had raided his mother's house in Skelmansdale. I wonder why they've done it. So yeah. like, it's not like you've repeatedly done about eight different instances that are deserving of your mother's house being raided. Exactly. You're not complaining, you're dealing with the consequences. Yeah, it's normal procedure. He also tells her the same story about Melissa and the Germans. Eleven days after attacking Delia, John writes to the detectives running the hunt for him. He called Delia an evil witch and, trying to be really clever with a play on words, described it as an accident. I know, because he, he's, he's yeah. being clever. Yeah. yeah, my spell check didn't like that at all when I tried doing that. So, so he likes to travel, this one. He goes back to Germany for various stints in 91, 92 and 93, always coming back to the UK staying in hostels, etc., and calling himself by various names. Joe Johnson, Joe Carroll, and Michael Fawcett. My thought was he could have also had a false passport or three by that point, or else he would have been picked up. Stuff like that was really easy to obtain on building sites back then. I know this from personal experience. He ain't Jason Bourne. How's, how's he got loads of different IDs and just yeah. globetrotting? I, I don't know why this guy gives off the vibe that he thinks he's the victim in all of this. Because he keeps doing this to people, keeps doing this to women, yeah. keeps harming them. And I don't understand why. If you keep getting into car accidents on a regular basis, chances are you should look at your own driving. Yeah, you're not wrong. So September of 1995, he's back in London and he's living in a bedsit in Finsbury Park, North London. I don't know if he lived with him, but his brother became a fixture too. And by 2000, so did a rather unfortunate woman called Paula Fields. Paula had been born in Liverpool, one of 11 children, but had moved to London with her children and had a job in a laundrette. However, she developed a drug addiction and turned to prostitution to pay for it and lost custody of her children. By the autumn, Paula was in a relationship with John, but it wasn't going the way he wanted. She was probably harder to control than other women he'd met. And he started to complain to those around him that she was stealing money, cigarettes, tobacco and using his mobile phone. So you've axe attacked multiple people. You don't have the right to complain that someone might be taking your tobacco, a consumable and potentially money. No, you don't have the right to complain about that. So Paula is last seen going into John's bedsit on the 15th of December at 9.30am. She had people who did care about her and they reported her missing. John had rather swiftly moved, but not very far, and was still living in Finsbury Park. 19th of February, 2001. Some boys were apparently fishing at the Regent's Canal near King's Cross, and they found some bags floating in the water. Boys being boys, they managed to pull out one of the bags and must have gotten the shock of their lives when the expected treasure of perhaps some stolen goods or jewellery turned out to be some bricks and body parts. They had found Paula, or rather her remains, cut into ten parts and put in six different bags. However, her head, hands and feet were missing. I'm surprised those boys even reported that because if they found a 
a bag with body parts in it in like Regent's Park, wherever it was. Regent's Canal. That's probably a gang killing from some sort of fucking Cockney gangster. Like, you, nope, nope, you're checking back in. They want me. They didn't do it. Craig's going to get me. Nope. They probably screwed the place down. And it, it's quite a well-known, well-walked path alongside that canal. So somebody may well have seen it at the same time. So the police have been looking for John Sweeney for the attack on Delia. But now they were looking for someone else for the murder of Paula. I don't think they'd actually tied the two cases together yet. But it would come. 23rd of March, 2001, John is spotted by a policeman at a building site in Shoe Lane. The reports say Hoban, but it's actually just off Fleet Street. Ironically, five minutes walk from the Royal Courts of Justice, working under the name of Joe Johnson. So when you say a police officer saw him, how would he recognise him? Do, I'm not, I don't know what like the police procedure is, where they look at like a list of people that yeah. have been reported. and Is it like a daily thing? Yes. I don't know how you would just... Yeah, and they have a list and they have pictures and this is who we think is calling himself Joe Johnson or John Sweeney or Scouser Joe. These are the different pictures we have of them over the year. If you're out and about on, on patrol, this is what he looks like. And they get that at the look, you know, the change in the handover of the shifts. I was going to say, I don't know why you would know this, but do you reckon... How, how would it be? Because I, I don't know how many people would be in like a wanted list enough for that, that for their sort of portfolio to be given. Portfolio is probably the wrong word. To different police officers to have to find them. So I'm, I'm wondering, is it, ju- is it just by pure luck or misfortune, in the case of John's case, for that police officer to recognise him? I genuinely can't answer that question. I genuinely, I genuinely don't know how many of those are actually passed out. A lot of people now of an older generation will be sat there going saying... I saw that on Hill Street Blues. Every time they did a swift, a, a shift change, they would hand out all those reports and stuff like that. But I don't know. It's just a weird confluence of events. Yeah. Where you haven't even recognised on a building site by a police officer. But he might have picked him up in the past for any number yeah, of... Yeah, and recognised him. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So, because he was working under this different name of Joe Johnson. So he was surrounded by armed officers and arrested. They, they realised he was that dangerous. You don't just you know, rock up with armed police officers in London. It just doesn't happen. They find a knife hidden in the waistband of his trousers. In his work locker, police found a loaded 9mm Luger pistol. At his new house, police officers recovered two loaded sawn-off shotguns. Now, I don't know what these are, Cameron. A Webley and Scott and a 410, no, sorry, a Webley and Scott 410, and a Savage Arms Corporation 16 gauge, means nothing to me, and a huge stash of bullets and cartridges. They also found a brown wig, a machete, an axe, a rounder's bat, bin liners, so what, cable ties, and a garrote made from bamboo. They question him about the murders of Paula and the attack on Delia. I think he is Jason Bourne. He's he's got like a fucking arsenal for some reason. Yeah. He's working on a construction site. Not to work in construction. He's got his next hit lined up. Him going down for just these couple of murders is a cover because he's killed like 800 people. You don't know. He's actually an assassin. And this is just like a, this is an easy way. This is an easy out. You might not actually be that far off when we look why, into... Why has he got an arsenal? It's, it's not... I he's not bank robber. I, I don't know how, how bad Red Scare propaganda was back in the day, but do you think the commies are going to come get him? Why, why has he got like a survival kit? I don't know. Genuinely don't know. I think there's a lot more to this guy than anybody actually genuinely knows. So they also questioned about 
Melissa. They knew she was missing. They knew she was tied into him, but, you know. He told police he had had 30 or 40 different relationships over the previous 20 years, but insisted were mostly non-violent. John said he think, didn't think that he had ever seen a sane woman and admitted using cannabis, heroin, speed and LSD. I'm going to go back to the car accident analogy again. If he's never met a sane woman, the most common data point is you. Yeah. So after... And what the fuck does mostly violent mean? Most of my relationships weren't mostly violent. None of them should be. Exactly. You can't have a mostly non-violent relationship. Either it's violent or it's not. It's kind of binary. Most people, if you've been in a violent or an abusive relationship, you do your absolute utmost to avoid any situations that would take you back into another one. And, I mean, you'd, you'd hope you'd have some sort of introspection and think, hmm, maybe I'm the violent bad one. Maybe it's not all these people doing something wrong. Oh, no, we've got none of that. So after denying anything to do with Melissa's disappearance and the death of Paula Fields, he was charged only with the attempted murder of Delia and firearms offences. Now, I know there would be very good reasons for that. They couldn't risk him getting off on a serious charge. And if they had the best chance with the attempted murder case, that would give him time to build something, knowing that he couldn't interfere with or go on the run again. When he was convicted in 2001, he had to be manhandled down to the cells from the dock of the Old Bailey after shouting at the jurors, it's an effing kangaroo court. I didn't expect nothing else. You're an effing disgrace. Would it have been possible to not release him on bail or whatever because he's a flight risk because he's previously done that before where he's been on the run yes. for a long period of time? I, I'm, I'm wondering... But they're only allowed to hold them for... for a certain period of time or whatever. Yeah. Despite them being a flight risk. Yeah, I, I just wondered if that could have been a thing then. They would have only... It would have been a matter of weeks and they would have been, you know, and it's they had a really good chance of getting... Well, they knew they could get him for Delia because the neighbour had come out and rescued... They had a witness. Yeah. yeah. So they knew. So in March of 2002, John was given four life sentences and told he would not be considered for parole for another nine years. So they're concurrent, not consecutive. I don't know exactly when it happened, but his ex-wife died of cancer in 2002 but I hope she took some comfort that he was locked up for the time being. But we are not finished. It turned out that Melissa had been found, just that no one realised it at the time. Familial DNA testing wasn't in common usage. On the 3rd of May 1990, officers from the police in Rotterdam, which was 80 kilometres south of Amsterdam, spotted an army surplus kit bag floating on the surface of the Wester Single Canal. Inside, they found the naked remains of a female, folded in half and bound with lengths of rope. Her head and hands were also missing. At that point, the body could not be identified and was buried in a Rotterdam cemetery. A full DNA profile for the unidentified remains was only added to the Dutch database on the 12th of June 2007 by a cold case squad and a match was reported in November of 2007. They used the familial DNA. 18 years her family had waited. The official confirmation on the 29th of January 2008 sparked a renewed investigation. 
In April 2010, John was taken from Gartry Prison in Leicestershire and questioned. He was charged with the murders of Melissa and Paula on the 26th of April 2010. There was no actual evidence for Paula's murder to connect him to it, but they did have it for Melissa and so were able to use that it was on the balance of probabilities, as they say. It was an identical MO. He refused to come to the Old Bailey to hear the sentencing remarks when, on the 5th of April 2011, he was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. So it's what we call a whole life tariff. He will die behind bars. Prior to doing this podcast, I'd only ha- ever heard the word tariff used to describe how long a phone contract's for. <laughs> I've never heard the, the word tariff so much in the past like, than it's I have in the past yeah. 18 months or I've been doing this podcast. How frequent is it for people to be getting sentenced to full life tariffs like that? We've covered this actually in other episodes, but it's incredibly rare. Incredibly rare. Maybe once every couple of years. And they've got to be... Considered- I was going to ask the criteria because for some reason it seems to be five or six people might have been murdered, but the circumstances are different and they only say, seem to get 20 years. And then this guy's killed two people, seemingly, which may not be more. Or, well, he's borned it somewhere, clearly. An assassin. I'll, I'll, I'll go into it on, on another episode, but the reason behind whole life tariffs is people. somebody is just too dangerous. They've got too many incidences. There's no mental illness in this case. He's just a nasty piece of work. Um, and he's just too dangerous to be let out. So the police also looked into possible links with a woman's body being found cut up in a canal in Amsterdam in 1992. Detectives also believed that a Brazilian woman called Irani or Leani, I've got two names for it, and a Colombian woman known as Maria went missing from North London in 1997. The two women went missing during a six-year spell that John was on the run. A third woman, called Sue from Derby, disappeared in the late 1970s or early 1980s. She was living and working and frequenting the Holloway Road area. The DCI in charge said, We believed she was training to be a nurse and maybe went to Switzerland to work. We also need to identify another woman whose drawing was found among his possessions and is just marked London 1985. And there's even a woman possibly from Scotland called Fiona that's vanished around 1985. And then again, those two Germans he mentioned. So that's seven more, maybe. And the missing body parts? Well, it's not like the nipples. But according to Delia, she thinks he may have bricked them up into the buildings he was working on. He used to tell her he'd done that with pets. He actually had a tarantula at one point. So I ended up with all shades of Jimmy Hoffa here. John has refused to help the police or clarify anything. Of course he has. John's absolute hatred of women was fully revealed in a horde of more than 300 violent and lurid paintings and poems found in his home. On the back of a scratch card, he had written a poem. Poor old Melissa chopped her up in bits, food to feed the fish, Amsterdam was the pits. They also found a calendar on the back of a taxi receipt with a 16th of December 2001 circled and a nine and a half weeks and the letter P written above it, 
which was within three days from when Paula's body was discovered. One-man band in which John had painted Melissa's gravestone and then covered it with correction fluid or Tipex as we would call it. Once treated with ultraviolet light, it revealed the inscription R.I.P. Melissa, and he's misspelt it, Holstod, Bonn, not born, on 12th December 56. The word died was followed by a dash. One of his other pictures, he named it the Scalp Hunter, showed John with a bloody axe tucked in his belt and a lock of hair hanging from its blade. John described the artwork in court as nonsense and said that he had spent the 1980s and 1990s taking drugs, including LSD and cannabis. Where his hatred of women comes from, we don't know. Delia has also written a book about her experience, and there are a few documentaries out there. His children, well, their names have been published, which I personally think is wrong. They've never spoken about any of this, and I just hope they're living their best lives. His mother is on record as saying she thinks he's innocent, but most mothers would think the same. What spooked me about this case is the spots he chose. I know. I've walked to Regent's Canal at King's Cross many times. I know and adore Amsterdam. And the last building site in Shoe Lane? I've probably walked past that hundreds of times, which freaked me out a little bit. He's been labelled as a psychopath. That's not actually diagnosed, but that's the label he's been given. Is he a serial killer? Very probably. The police have put out pictures of his nasty drawings in the hope that they can find any woman that had any connection to him and all his aliases, so they can literally cross them off the list. Yeah, it would be hard to connect all the dots if he's gone under 10 different names in the past 10 years. Yeah, if you knew this guy at any point between 76 and you know, 2004. People have also wondered if he was another serial killer known as the Butcher of Mons. The Butcher of Mons is a media name given to this serial killer, completely unidentified, who committed five murders between January 96 and July 97 in or near the Belgian city of Mons. Can they stop giving names to serial killers that are pretty cool, please? Yeah, I know, I know. It, it should be like shit the bed, Timmy. No one, no one wants to be a serial killer called that. Well, <laughs> why have they got cool names? Because you get some NASA that thinks, yeah, that sounds like an Xbox gamer tag. I want that. And then you end up getting called the Gay Slayer, which doesn't quite work out for some people. <laughs> you remember that one. Because that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the best name, isn't it? That's, that's the best serial killer name. He, he wanted to be called something cool and he got known as the Gay Slayer. It sounds like he watches too much Rude Paul. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it, what bothered the police was the high precision of dismemberment. Um, I don't think that um, Sweeney had any kind of butcher's training but if you've done at least two bodies maybe well he's he's traveled about a lot you don't know what weird odds jobs yeah. that he's had in some that hasn't been reported because it's, it's deemed inconsequential yeah well these bodies were dumped in plastic bags and were visible from either th- beside the road or, or they were on a riverbank and i think that's possibly why people wonder if it was him because of the riverbank and he's you know penchant for lobbing stuff into the nearest spot of water I've dropped the link in the show notes. Um, it doesn't appear was ever considered by the Belgian police and we don't know if he ever went there. But it wouldn't be a stretch to wonder, now would it? Well, no, because he's globetrotted. Yeah, exactly. I don't understand why he followed Melissa to 
Vienna. Power, control. But it, but it, is it though? She clearly doesn't want to be with you. So what's what sort of benefit are you getting from forcing someone to stay in a relationship with you? But she did want to be with him, but she didn't want to be with the person that he was. If he'd have treated her well, she would have stayed with him. Yeah, she's in love with the... Well, not in love, but she's... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. She's in love with the idea of him rather than him. Her sister was really, really angry with her. Her sister actually testified in court and said that she'd said to Miss Melissa after he attacked her with the um, the hammer, what the FNL do you want to do anything to do with this nutter for, basically? And she said, well, he cried and I'm, I'm all he's got. So he manipulated that's, her. That's not her responsibility. No, I know, the, but... I know, I know. I'm, I'm not saying you are saying that, but that, that's not her responsibility. I don't know why then she would do that. Because from what I've seen pictures of her, she's like a very attractive, she looks like a socialite, Sort of Audrey Hepburn, Princess Diana. That's sort of taken from the, the era of when the image was taken, the kind of film they have over it. She looks like a bikini model type woman. Yeah. That would have done very well on, on like the, the, the front issue of whatever the fucking thing was at the time. I don't see why she would sort of need to... But maybe her self-esteem was in the toilet, especially after she could have, we don't know, but she could have been dropped by the Ford agency. I know it was very, very common, but maybe she thought this was her passport to fame and fortune. It's actually a horrible life if you're a top model. It, they, they are oh, really yeah, no, brutal. Oh, yeah, no, it's awful. But, but if her self-esteem was in the toilet, she would have, you know. And that last picture, which I will put up on social media, is the one everybody knows him from. And that, to me, looks like um, a site ID photograph where they were like, you know, you come on site, we need to take a picture of you so you can have a pass. Because I can't work out if he's... It looks to me like he's got um, earplugs in, specialist earplugs for working on a building site. Either that or weird hearing aids. But he just looks like a potato. He's horrible. I do know what you mean. A bit of a lughead vibe, isn't it? He's... I mean, even the young pictures I've shown you when he was a young chap, I could see somebody... He must have had the gift of the gab. He from, must have from been From some charming. of those pictures I can see, he, in one he's got the big ginger beard, he does look a little bit like Jude Law from a distance when Jude Law had that yes. big beard. Yes, So I, I know uh, for dudes, having a beard is a bit like makeup. You can hide... If you have a weak jawline, they can make you look more attractive. Maybe he's done that, but... He was obviously I don't understand just... It. He absolutely hated women. He, there's nothing redeemable about this man. There is nothing there. And his poor children, you know, I don't he ever contributed a penny towards their upbringing or whatever. It's got to be awful for them. But now he's behind bars and hopefully they won't find many more um, bodies chopped up around Europe quite the same way. And that is the end of this week's episode. And finally, the victims who should not be forgotten. Melissa Halstead, aged 33, and Paula Fields, aged 31. Let's do the podcast. It's our first one back after... Two weeks. Two weeks. I mean, for ours, it hasn't been a break because we've been no. recording in the background. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Me and Monday Podcast and email us at murdermeandmondaypodcast at gmail.com. I'm going to say my one again because people got follow me from that, which is weird. Mine's Camp Can't Focus. The, you can find us on the Patreon in the show notes below where we upload Patreon exclusives as well as the normal podcast a week early. And thank you for the lovely reviews we've been having. Yeah, some has been quite sweet. Yes, they've been very kind. I assume people are going to think I'm a knobhead, but that's just me. <laughs> but you can find us next time. Peace. Bye.